Episode 40 of the Fan Engagement Pod is a bit of a special one. We've gathered together five fan-facing communications media and social media managers and officers from Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two and National League North. They are Alex O'Loughlin from Southampton, Elliot Byrne from AFC Bournemouth, Scott Demmeling from Shrewsbury Town, Scott Palfrey from Exeter City and Dan Simonite from York City. I think the episode speaks for itself, but it's an illuminating chat that covers a lot of ground and is shot through with great insights and a lot of honesty about what it's like at the coalface for people in their role. Don't forget we've got loads of other episodes. Episode 4 of Buzz Chat is now out, where we look at the value of fan engagement when you get that approach from a tech company, why clubs value sponsorships and partnerships as they do, and whether leagues should be providing more help to clubs to build their fan engagement strategy so that clubs can focus on building resilient and successful sports businesses. Listen via the usual channels, search Fan Engagement Pod. And by the way, if you're a club from the top four divisions of English men's football, don't forget we've sent out data collected of the Fan Engagement Index 2019-2020 season for comment, and the index will be out later this month. Don't forget also, Fan Insights will soon become Think Fan Engagement. Keep an ear out for that. And join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. The is the teacher. guests we've had to go this time normally with a guest or I think the maximum I've had before this was three guests when I when I interviewed the fans and did did, did a podcast with three fan representatives that I know um we've had to yeah we've had to drop the video this time because it was taking up too much bandwidth and we all sounded like we were robots or down the bottom of a well so um but this time I've got um five people who are um you're all um Fan fa- very fan-facing roles. Um, I think really critical, vital people at this at any time, really, but but particularly at the moment where fans aren't at football. Um, and I'll just run through who we've got. We've got Scott Demmeling from. Is that the correct pronunciation, Scott? Yeah, from, well done. Right, yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, who will hereby ref- hereafter refer to as Scott D because we've also got Scott Palfrey from um, Exeter City. Scott P, welcome. Hello. Um, Elliot Byrne from AFC Bournemouth. Hello. Dan Simonite from York City. Hello. And Alex O'Loughlin from Southampton. Hello. Hello. Right. So um, I'm not going to go through all your job descriptions. I will put um, something in the um, in the episode description because there's so many of you. Um, but um, I'll just quickly go round all of you. And actually, it's worth pointing out that each and every one of you um well yeah i mean you're all at, you're all at fairly different clubs in terms of sort of the type of football club that you are not just at the level but the type of club you are the the way they're owned all those sorts of things and the histories and things you're all quite different and it makes it an interesting episode um and also things like the fact that dan has just been involved dan simonite at york has just been involved in helping to it's the third club that's moved stadium during this season um that you know, whose fans have not got to see the stadium. I, I speak as a Wimbledon fan. We've not seen Plough Lane yet. 
Um, and then obviously um, Brentford fans still haven't seen their new stadium. So Dan, just just that's a good jumping off point for me. You've been you've been trying to get across this amazing new change, which I know from my experience of you. I knew Steve Beck. I knew a lot of the people involved in the takeover by the fans years back, because it was just around the time I was involved as an activist a long time back uh, at Wimbledon. Um, this, this, you know, this has been an exciting time. But it's also been really sad because fans haven't been able to be involved. What's it been like trying to get this across to people as a piece of fan engagement, um, you know, remote fan engagement? Yeah, it's been, obviously, we've been, as you know, we've been waiting probably, I think it's like 18 years for this stadium. Um, so, you know, I would have been about five years old or something when this process actually started. So I've come along at the time we were actually moving from Boven Crescent, a traditional football ground. Uh, we've been there 88 years and uh, we've gone to this brand new council run facility. And yeah, it's, it, you know, in some ways we're relieved to get there. And in other ways, you know, it's come at probably the worst time because we're in the middle of a pandemic and obviously the, the fans couldn't be at the first game or even the last game at uh, Boven Crescent. But yeah, it's been a really interesting time and I think a really good time to be involved as well, just because of the, um, you know, the amount of stuff we can do around the stadium move, you know, getting fans involved in, you know, the videos we've done, um, articles, all the media we've done around the events and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's been a really interesting time and, um, yeah, lots lots uh, going on. So there was a, there was a, um, uh, a, a particular um, video that kept getting flagged up on, um, that I kept seeing on, uh, on LinkedIn. Um, that you were involved in. Just tell us a little bit about that, because that was quite, uh, that got a lot of plaudits, a lot of props, a lot of people talking about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, it's quite overwhelming. The, the feedback off that was really good. It was, um, so that's a video I've literally been making since uh, last year, really, because um, obviously our stadium move, it's been delayed and delayed so much. Um, you know, you just got to prepare for when we are going to move. And I didn't really have a deadline date, so I started that last year. and. You know, it was really about just capturing the emotion of Booth and Crescent and what it meant to the fans, you know, what it meant to the football community as a, you know, a traditional football ground. You know, you don't really get many of grounds like that anymore. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really great. I, obviously, I said I wanted to get fans involved in it. So I interviewed um, a lot of um, fans from, you know, different backgrounds in the club. Some have been supporting since, um, you know, they were really young kids. Um, some are just come along with their mates, um, you know, and one of them had even um, been at the ground previous to Boone Crescent, which is called Fulford Gate. Um, and yeah, I just interviewed them and put it all into a compilation sort of video. And um, I think it really resonated with not only York City fans, but the football community as a whole. You know, we had people like TalkSport, um, The Guardian and stuff picking it up. And, you know, it was really um, a piece for football fans, really, yeah. Um. Alex, um, Southampton, um, I, one of the sort of outstanding pieces, I mean, sort of engaged, well, you know, I suppose it is, it's, it's, it's certainly entertaining, the Stop the Internet um, tweet that was put out when you, I think it was when you were top, wasn't it? Is that right? Um, yeah, that's right. Seems a long time ago now. Who came up with that? That was quite clever. <laughs> yeah so um we've kind of got a whatsapp group where um because there's a, a team of us content officers and we have a whatsapp group where we kind of just ping around ideas um and obviously at that time um 
everything that was happening in America with Donald Trump in the election was was really topical and and his stop the count tweet had kind of done incredible numbers so we spotted it as an opportunity but it was one of those that often comes along in football where you need a number of stars to align for it to actually happen so we kind of had it in our back pocket for a little bit but we obviously needed to win the games leading up to that and results go away elsewhere to end up top of the table but yeah it was as simple as you know we kind of all spotted it on on social with Donald Trump initially and uh, kind of find a way that if we managed to get to the top, that would be a good way for us to market. I think it was the first time in 20 odd years since Saints had been top. So it kind of fitted in perfectly from that point of view. It's a fun piece. One of the, one of the things that um, I suppose has been interesting to see, you know, a lot of, a lot of people have been sort of, um, you know, places like Twitter become, you know, more, more, more important than usual because of, you know, obviously we're not able to go to matches and things like that. One of the things that um, that I certainly I've been keen on talking about in terms of fan engagement, and the fan engagement index measures this is is interaction on Twitter. Do all of you um, uh, 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 in your varying roles, because not all of you are as involved on the social side. Some of you might be more than others, and some of you might just run your social channels and stuff. Actually, give us a if could you give us an, an indication. Um, Scott P, Elliot Byrne, Scott D, Dan Simonite and Alex, all of you, could you tell me, is it you individually, do you individually run your channels or lead in the case of say some, someone like Southampton or Bournemouth? Um, or do you, or, or, or are you just, you know, one of a group or one of a couple of people? Scott P, what about um, you? Do you so run there's, so there's two, of, two of us at right. Exeter, there's me, who's full-time um, and I've sort of like uh, admin as they call it overall, which is a word I hate, uh, overall the accounts. Um, it's Craig, who's part-time at the moment, is our media officer. Um, so he's running Twitter on match days, really. Um, and then we have a couple of match day volunteers who will help out, who have like rights to post on match days, really. They wouldn't do anything outside of that. Um, and then at the moment, uh, we have a volunteer who's running our TikTok account, which has been going pretty well the last couple of months. Um, that's a world where I'm getting a bit too old to understand now, really. So um, he's calls himself a, a TikTok addict. So he's managed in two months to gain more followers than we have on Instagram, which we've had about six years, which is kind of a scary prospect. And I think just shows how big that platform is really for football. I mean, you can speak to Alex about that because Southampton are probably one of the best football teams well, on there as well. We'll come back to Alex. I did notice earlier in uh, last summer that Southampton had launched a TikTok channel. I don't want to focus entirely on social, but it's an important point. And, and TikTok's one of those things that's it's a curiosity for a lot of people. Um, Elliot, yourself, what, what, what goes what goes on at Bournemouth? And, and, um, and is that similar to what went on previously when you were at Orient? Um, so at Bournemouth, we have, we have a team of people that kind of work across social media uh, across the social media channels so my role primarily focuses on on facebook and tiktok um my colleague zoe kind of leads on uh, twitter and um and she works alongside another colleague of mine ian uh, on on instagram so we kind of share the responsibilities for the various platforms um among the team um so we can focus on each platform you know in itself when I was at Orient, it was it was very much that um, myself, and then um, when I had someone working alongside me, we we kind of both shared the focus across 
you know all the all the various channels we were on got d yes so, um up until up until last year um i was social media manager this this season started i became head of media so my role in terms of looking after the socials has kind of stayed the same um it's kind of my call if you know uh the guy with there's a team of three so if the guys come come to me and they've got an idea they run it past me um and if, if i think it works then we'll go with it um but they do contribute in terms of the socials what i did do this year was write out um some social guidelines that those two should follow in terms of just basic standard tweets how we put things out in terms of branding so that for whatever reason if i'm not around or um they're covering a match day or something like that they they know what's needed what's expected so that everything stays on brand in terms of us as a club um but yeah in terms of the creative aspects of social media that's um definitely my responsibility yeah okay and dan um you're you know you, you're at york who's now now in this is their second season in the national league north that's right. probably a bit more than that yeah probably the sixth season <laughs> national league north oh yeah. no you mean the national league structure you've you've only been oh, yeah of course yeah 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 i was gonna say crikey you can't be that <laughs> And I presume for you, it's a bit more like, say, Scott P and Scott D, maybe maybe fewer, fewer resources, a bit more stretched across what you've got to do. Yeah, well, yeah, I was at our level, it's um, it's a lot less people involved. So, yeah, I'm the, I'm the sole media person for York City full-time. Um, and, you know, on match days, I'll have uh, four people, photographers, videographers, who are, who are all supporters, um, who just feed me content, um, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff, stuff like that. Um, so we can sort of access all areas. So yeah, um, I don't really get many holidays um, during the year because um, you know, in terms of social, you've got to be on it and stuff. So yeah, in, that's our self. In terms of all of you, in terms of um, uh, what what I what what I would call listening and sort of in, I suppose intelligence gathering, um, which often. Um, well, fan engagement often is that is is kind of listening out and hearing what the issues are out in the fan base and that kind of thing. Um, do you all get that opportunity? Do you you know is your are your roles varying from your social roles? And some of you might do fan actual fan engagement events and things like that. It's not unusual to find people in your roles that will do uh, you know something like uh, will sit perhaps sit alongside a director at a fan fans forum. Um, you know, fans parliament meetings, you'll often have people in your sorts of roles involved. Do you get the chance to do any of that in your in your roles? If we go around the, the sort of metaphorical table again, start with Scott D. Um, I know at, at, at each of your clubs, you have very different arrangements for sort of fan engagement in the sort of structured sense. Um, but how, how does it work for you, Scott? Do you have much involvement in that side of it through whatever channels we're talking, whether it is you know, say meetings and things or whether it's social or what have you. Yeah, definitely. I think that's part of my job that I've got to stay on top of. It, it's normally a case where I find myself um, engaging with fans personally through reading um, message boards or uh, Facebook groups or things like that. Just keeping an eye on it each evening if, if topics are raised and it's a topic that's raised more than once. It's something that I always try and feed back to our CEO, Brian Caldwell, who's who's very good in that aspect in terms of 
he's always there to listen he's always there to answer and he will 99% of the time answer something that, that's been asked um, we work quite closely with some fanzine groups um, which actually help us a lot with our stats which helps me a lot with our social media um, so they've got a great um, grounding in terms of the feeling amongst the fan base which it is always appreciated um, but in terms of obviously supporters parliaments that's been quite hard to do this season for obvious reasons but what I have tried to do uh, each month is sit down with our CEO Brian Caldwell and, and just feedback some some questions from the fans um, and he's like I said is great at his honesty uh, he doesn't really shy away from any questions but that type of format in terms of a pre-recorded interview uh, each month has kind of replaced the, the supporters parliament but it's certainly something when we're back to normal whatever that is that supporters parliament will be resumed and it, it is a case where I'd I'd sit amongst it in terms of our SLOs uh, and safety officers all of that um, yeah so that, yeah it's I'd get in, involved as much as I can, basically, yeah. Um, and then Scott and Dan, I, I want to come to Alex and Elliot being towards the other end of the league structure um, and, and, and better resourced. I mean, obviously, Bournemouth still are, having been relegated, having parachute payments, you, you're, you're still going to be a better resourced football club than, say, one at the bottom end of the championship. But Scott and Dan, how about you in terms of, your role when it comes, your roles when it comes to the listening to what's going on amongst the fan base and involvement in fan engagements, sort of official business and meetings and stuff like that. Is do you do you play roles there, Scott? I think so. I think similar to Scott D in that we're the sort of eyes and ears on the ground, listening, seeing what people think. Um, our club's probably a little different as well because obviously we're owned by supporters and have been for the last twenty years. So we probably feel like there's a bit more pressure and responsibility for us to listen to what the owners of the club are saying really and make sure that that's fed back to those in charge and the club itself um have a really strong relationship like with our COO's Justin Quick who does an incredible job in listening and kind of responding to certain things um obviously there's only so much with the resources that we can do um and we tend to try and have two or three fan forums a year as well. Um, when I've hosted the last couple of those, I think, I don't know why, it just kind of happened, which was a challenge because they were virtual as well. But doing things like that where people can ask questions of uh, our chairman, the trust chairman and manager and everything, I think is crucial as well, especially has been in the last 12 months where things are a little bit up in the air when it comes to everything. So I think as long as we're seen to... People know that we're listening and trying to improve on a daily basis. I think that's key, really. And Alex and Elliot, um, I mean, in, in clubs of your size and profile, it's a bit different. Um, you know, Alex and Elliot, you were both talking about teams, you know, and then obviously we know with Dan, Scott and Deb, Scott P and Scott D, they might have a team of volunteers sometimes. Um, and some part-time help but really they're not going to be in the same position as, as both of you do you um you're you're sitting in these bigger teams do you still have do you, is there any of that sort of involvement in, in engagement on an ongoing basis in terms of meetings that kind of stuff and also do, do i presume 
you know, you, you're, you're not going to be able to go direct to your chief exec like Scott D does, for example, simply because you'll have a line manager and that kind of thing. Alex. Yeah, so for me personally, um, lucky to have other departments that are able to take on um, some of that engagement with the fans. So we we hold several fan forums, um, which are attended by the first team manager and the board, and they have representatives from the playing playing side of things to talk through what I'd say are the, the bigger kind of questions in terms of the running of the club and future ambitions and things, which um, obviously we can't really have a, an individual say on. Um, we also have a supporter relations team who um, are contactable by supporters either on the phone or, or email or whatever, um, or in person when it's kind of the usual world um, to deal with anything from kind of complaints with retail orders all the way up to something with a match day experience or something they feel on the website or online or whatever that people go to them and it kind of filters down to us. Um, so really for us in the content team, we're kind of just charged with looking after our output in terms of social and Obviously, we look for feedback on that. So um, we, we look at the Saints hashtag. We look at the comments that we receive back to the things that we're putting out. But yeah, for me, it's more about just kind of looking at the, the fans' opinion on, on the content that we're sharing with them from a social side of things. Okay, I'm going to come to you, Dan, in a sec. Can I just, because I realised I completely forgot to ask you after we spoke to Scott P. But Elliot, what about from your perspective, your position? Yeah, much like Alex, to be honest, um, we, we're fortunate to have um, people across a variety of departments who help contribute um, to, to, you know, to, to listening to supporters and reaching out to supporters and, and, and finding out where they are. I think um, what's important is that everyone in, in my department, in our department, certainly, um, is just obsessed with, with what we do. And so it might not necessarily be a formal responsibility, um, but everyone's kind of keeping an eye out, engaging what, how things have been reacting, uh, how people reacting to things and, and, and what's going on with the fan base, just to help dictate what we do and direct what, how we approach certain things. So we, we keep an interest, but it might not always be you know, a, a formal responsibility of ours. Okay, and Dan, sorry I missed you out earlier. It wasn't intentional. Um, <laughs> How about yourself? Are you quite involved rather like Scott P and Scott D then? Yeah, I'd probably just echo what everyone else has said, to be fair. And in terms of, um, you know, York City, we're, you know, very small staff in the structure. So a lot of the fans know the staff and interact with the, the staff quite a lot, um, whether that be on social media, Twitter and stuff. And, you know, the way I do it as well, a lot of um, we have fan podcasts, um, fan forums, Facebook groups, all run by supporters and stuff. Um, you know, I like to get involved in them as well. You know, I've been a guest on podcasts before and, um, you know, I interact with supporters on the forums and stuff like that. Just, you know, to embed myself in really in the supporters base and find out, um, you know, like the others said, what questions they want answered. Um, and, you know, you can say that your content towards that as well um, in terms of picking up content ideas. You know, say there's a game coming up or something, you know, it's 30 years since we beat Man U, um, you know, I'll go and plan for that because um, I found out off the supporters and, and stuff like that so yeah it's a really beneficial thing to do. Hi I just want to take a quick moment to tell you about Match Day Digital the world's first football first digital magazine platform bringing together premium paid content from clubs match day programs popular football magazines newspapers and high quality fan produced fanzines it's quite the list. Uh, match Day Digital brings 
football content and supporters together in a single app which allows clubs and other publishers to deliver their content to a much wider audience than they would through their own print or digital sites and apps all especially relevant obviously during this covid era you can download the app on google play and apple store go to matchdaydigital.co.uk for more and if you're a club drop the fellas over there a line they're really friendly and i'm sure they'd love a chat with you about your needs okay um uh, i just wanted to touch on if, if there's some a couple of specific other specific areas i just wanted to touch on one thing is um is uh, and it is a little bit more about communications more generally um but you know it relates to engagement because obviously all of you've got for, you know fan facing roles if you want to call it that put it that way um how when when this this hoary old word strategy right um comes up um do all of you if we go around again do all of you have um something quite formal that you operate to what whether it's you know the, the, depending on what obviously it depends on what role you're you're doing and, and something a little bit more let's call it niche like elliot and alex which is based on the fact you've got more resources and more staffing um or whether it is like Scott P, Scott D, or Dan, um, where 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 it's much more about you know there's, there's one or two people. Do do you all have a a you know a strategy that you work to, and that can just mean something like Scott D said earlier, you know a one pager, or, uh, and which to be honest with you, I think most of the time that's what a strategy should be, um, on on how you post on lot you know on social and stuff like that. You know, are you working in fairly sort of organised environments in that sense? Just give people a, a sense. If we go um, start with Elliot, um, uh, do, 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 does a lot of what you do sit within a strategy? And um, um, yeah, go on. Go on. Uh, yes and, and no. In in a way that we we have kind of a our, our group works across uh, multiple different kind of. Um, job responsibilities and we have a kind of group meeting at the start of the year and and formalize a kind of strategy you know we have a very kind of set brand guidelines and very set social media approach across the different platforms we have a, a style in how we operate and we kind of have a goal in mind about what what we want to achieve and um you know the things we want to focus on and and what we want to do but we also allow ourselves to be kind of guided by you know by what happens and and much like everyone else i suppose just you know what what reacts well with the supporters and 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 what becomes the big topic points and and stuff like that so it's it is it is formal in a lot of ways but but we are allowed to 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 guide ourselves in different ways where where needed okay uh dan Yes, yeah, so in terms of we just started making it more, you know, strategy based and stuff. You know, we've got brand guidelines. We have meetings about doing campaigns around certain things. Um, I think um, what um, said before about you know football's changing all the time and stuff, and you know stuff that performs better on social is the reactive content. So you can't really plan for that stuff. You can't really have a strategy around that. You just got to sort of. If it's a trend, you jump on it, or you know, if the team's won, um, you jump on that. So I guess that's our sort of planner planning around that. Yeah. Okay, Scott. Uh, sorry, Scott P. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> similar, similar, I guess. I mean, we have, I wouldn't say we had the Holy Grail document, you know, pinned to the wall that everyone signed and adhered to. Um, it's just, we have sort of like the, you know, style guide, the things that we do and don't do are the way we do things, um, that kind of stuff really. I think like, you know, it's hard to be, be too tied down with this kind of stuff because otherwise it becomes very plain and boring. So I think as long as you all have an understanding of the do's and don'ts, I think you'll be fine really. A very broad one. Um, and Scott D, I, I, I'm guessing it's the same for you and you sort of touched on it earlier um, when you were talking about social. Um, yeah, absolutely. In, in terms of uh, the guidelines, it is just a very basic guidelines in, in terms of, like Scott P just said, the absolute do's and don'ts of it. So that, for example, if, if we do get anyone new in the building, they, they can have a, a quick look at it and they know exactly what we're about. But like the other guys have said, if you're just referring to socials, it, it's massively reactionary in terms of what, what you put out and what you don't and what works. And 90% of the time, the best content is reactionary um, in terms of stuff for the, the club website or planning for the future. Um, we do have a always have a look at key dates of what's coming up um, and have uh, monthly meetings with our CEO as well, which I, I always find beneficial because it, he gives us that access to actually plan and put things in place without having a meeting ourselves, and then go into him and have another meeting it I find it, it gets stuff done a lot quicker um, but yeah in terms of strategy it's more of a, a month by month basis but that is again referring to a, a normal world because in terms of our content this year as I, I'm sure you're aware it's been a, a bit of a crazy one with no manager for almost two and a half months so in terms just of our content sorry Scott D just so people are aware at this point we're speaking Steve Cottrell a former Wimbledon player I might add and a very fine striker even if he was injured a bit too often for our liking has been very sick with Covid and Covid related illnesses for two months now hasn't he so um, I'm, I'm you know obviously we'll send our best wishes to him. Um, Alex um, in terms of Southampton again every time I come to you and to to Elliot, it's it's always on the understanding that you're working in inside a in, within a much bigger whole, um, a much bigger organisation. So how how is it for you? Do you have quite a free hand, or is is you know do you have some quite sort of set down guidelines, and you're allowed to operate freely within that, or how does it work for you? Yeah, it's it's funnily enough uh, a bit of both to be honest. So the way that the club is structured, all of the departments funnel up into what we call the Southampton way, and we all have our different ways of um, inputting into that. So we fall under the commercial department. So they obviously have various KPIs that are set at the start of each each season that we kind of feed into in our own way. But then um, whilst we have like our set style guide and brand guidelines and things that are fairly rigid, we obviously then going back to like the stop the count tweet that you mentioned earlier, we still obviously have that freedom on social to be able to branch away from that and, and kind of jump on trends and and push our brand and things to people that otherwise might not see us if we just stuck to the kind of black and white of it. So um, yeah, whilst we kind of fall into the commercial department and obviously then fall into the the bigger club views in terms of where they want to be going forward, we also have that kind of free hand on on social to to do different things and be, uh, yeah, try different things on there as well. And that is an interesting one because I don't think people always appreciate um, at all sorts of levels of football, people just ordinary fans or even sometimes people who work in clubs don't always quite appreciate 
um, what placing a, a particular communications to a, a form of communications within a particular department and it does matter um, whether a, whether a, a, a communications team is related to a commercial or marketing or sales team and what the relationships are like there um, without going into huge detail it does vary from club to club but you know the drivers become different and one of the things that I'm interested in um, that I wanted to just get get a view on is my my sense a lot of the with a lot of communications when it comes to football and football clubs is, and, and this isn't side, I'm not singling out any of you as individuals or any of your clubs, because um, I don't think that's fair and that's not really what the purpose of this question is about, is, is this, this, this notion that a lot of clubs broadcast. Um, and I can under, sort of understand it because it's, it's, a, it's a sector, it's an industry, um, uh, you know, where, where, you're, where you're, you're required to put out a lot of information, whether it's match-related information, transfer-related information, you know, scores, all that sort of statistical stuff. But do you, all, do you all see my point when I say I think football needs to learn to listen a bit more and broadcast mm. a little bit less? If we start with Scott D. Um, or you could be free, but please feel free to completely disagree with me. It's just a, a feeling, I, a sense I have after a number of years in the sector. Uh, Scott D. Just, just sorry, Kev. Just explain that a bit more. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I have a tendency to go off and ramble sometimes. What I mean is, basically, my sense is that football broadcasts a hell of a lot and doesn't always football clubs. Yeah. Uh, don't get the opportunity to do enough listening, and I and and that's really the question. It's whether or not, not not even necessarily you specifically as people at your clubs, but sort of a general. Um, view do you, do, is this some is that something you can see can you do, do you understand where that comes from yeah are you referring in in terms of listening to fan base or just a, as a yeah. whole yeah no it really is to do with the fan engagement the actual listening to fan side of it do you feel that we're we spend the sorry if i'm going to be really clear i'm going to say we spend a lot of time telling fans things and not quite enough time listening to what they're saying to us yeah i, I think it's it's definitely the case um, when you're in the midst of December or or any week really at the moment with with fixtures when you've got them coming Tuesday Saturday you kind of get in the in the ritual of just firing out the content that you you're just used to and and you you feel like is expected but I feel like it's it's a time that you reflect especially when it's close season and and you're in the summer and you really start thinking about what the fans want and then you kind of put it down to a to a season I feel whereas maybe it should be more of a case that you're constantly assessing and and listening what fans want I know it's a case of you, you do your best especially with with our resources at the lower leagues where in your evenings or your spare minutes you're looking at, at what fans are asking for uh, and things like that but I, I do think we're definitely guilty of kind of pigeonholing that time where you've got that downtime, whereas we perhaps could make more time to uh, listen and and maybe come up with some some more ideas in terms of what fans are actually after during the season, because I think it's a case of we'll come up with our ideas of of what fans want and we'll listen to the fans in the summer and we'll, we'll generate these ideas for the season as a whole. And I think it's quite hard once you start the season to then stop or start something because you, again you get into that ritual of doing something Tuesday Saturday 
Um, I think that that's a habit that's quite hard to get out of if if you understand where I'm coming from. I do, Alex. How about you? Again, I, you know, it's, this is always the interesting contrast for this conversation that, that we're coming to people at very different levels of the pyramid. Um, um, how about yourself? How do you see the point that I was making there? Is it something you have some sympathy with? Yeah, and I agree with what um, Scott just said as well about the fact that sometimes I think it can end up being something that you review your content and what you're doing at the end of the season. Um, when do you actually got time to kind of take breath and take stock of everything, whereas maybe it should be um, whilst the season's going on. But um, this season's a, a very unique one in that we have so many games that you kind of do get in this perpetual cycle of kind of pre-match and post-match and stuck on that. And for us as well, the, the extra thing that is thrown into the mix is obviously we have um, commercially branded content as well. So um, for instance, uh, we've got a, a stat of the week uh, agreement with Sportsbet, which means that they get a post on social in the lead up to each match with a, a stat relating to that, which is obviously fine when you're cruising at the top of the league like we were at the, the, the start of the season. But when you are where we are now and you haven't won in 10 or 11 games, um, things like that become a lot more complicated to manage because um, it's obviously not being consumed by the fans in the same positive, positive way it was before, but you've still got agreements that are there that need to be kind of navigated around. So, um, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of complications with it, but um, certainly I think as a, as, a, as a whole, not just speaking for Southampton, but I think um, clubs could probably listen more whilst the season was was kind of ongoing as opposed to reviewing things at the end of each season. That was a really good point, Alex, about the commercial imperative there that I think people forget um, is fine when it comes to Cadbury, you know, or uh, Jaguar or whoever. But you're not in those cases unless you've got your results being released that week, you know, your financial results. You don't have this up and down to deal with all the time. So when you're having a commercial agreement that says you must post this because it's part of the agreement, um, then it's done within a model where you could be bottom of the division, or you could be top of the league. Um, and that's, I think, isn't always appreciated, perhaps, when those sorts of things get signed. That's my view. I, you know, it may, it may well be that, you know, this is something that can't be can't see any change ahead on that it just seems to me that that's a certainly a very very much a pressure that exists that doesn't exist in other industries Elliot how about you do you have sympathy for the view of you know maybe you don't quite get the time and that maybe even that the, the sort of the trends in the industry the trends in football aren't always conducive to giving people the time to do that yeah I think I think I, I, I guess I would echo a lot of what Alex said um I think you're right that probably on the whole football football might not do enough listening and, and could benefit from doing more but also you know thinking um, pragmatically there are complications um, you know throughout you know behind the scenes in football clubs and it was the same when I was at Leighton Orient to you know where we are at Bournemouth and stuff and, and it's a very hard balance I think where sometimes you know you need sometimes we don't listen enough but also you sometimes need a bit of perspective that kind of doesn't have quite the same emotion and you have to balance that out which i think is important brilliant scott p yeah and then i'll come finally to you dan i think it's similar to what everyone else said i think you it's so easy to get bogged down in the in the sort of repetition of football saturday tuesdays that you can 
as much as you'd like to, you can, kind of can't find the time sometimes to be reactive to what what's going on and maybe miss out on a lot of things. So I think it would be great, you know, if we had more resources or things like that to be able to um, put more put more side of time, put more time aside for listening really and reacting. Dan, how about yourself? Yeah, I think you know, in terms of the, the age we're in, in terms of social media and stuff, you're always getting feedback from fans. You know, if, if I post a tweet, you know, which gets a negative response, I'll then tailor that to my next tweets, etc., and um, you know, use that feedback to um, you know really um, broadcast stuff. If you know what I mean, you know, just because you're um, sort of not showcasing that you're listening in terms of fan forums and stuff, you know, we do that as well. And obviously, the time restraints, as everyone else has said. Um, you're constantly getting feedback from social and uh, and such. So, you know, you can always um, improve as you're going along and make little tweaks, I guess. Okay, and I'm going to come to the... the I'm probably going to sort of wind it up now because I've had you on for a while and, and it's... Um, I, I mean, I have to say, I really appreciate the time you've given me um, during the, you know, the period we're in and it's it's the day, you know, it's Saturday tomorrow. So I'm, I don't know about um, Alex and Elliot, but but I'm sure everyone everyone's sort of looking... Actually, I think Dan, you've not got any more football this season. <laughs> well, hopefully, we have a few more games coming up. But uh, what's going on? Because I I, 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 haven't checked for the last couple of days. What's gone on with the vote on continuation of the season? Uh, I think it's going to be um, nothing's confirmed yet. Obviously, our season's null and void. Um, so they want to combine the north and south divisions, basically. Um, so we can still have some promotion to the national league. So we'll see what happens with that, possibly next week. Um, but fingers crossed that goes ahead. Okay. Um, but I'd say the last thing I really want to come just touch on was um, it's, it's, it's a, a question that I think probably on um, a lot of people's lips is, you know, and it's, it's almost too big a question to ask, but I feel like I'm sort of on a bound to do it is, is how's it been during this COVID period? Because, you know, for example, Anthony Emerson at Stoke, who I speak to from time to time, the support services, head of support services, I think his job's even changed in this period. You know, the, the, you know, the pressure on people, um, you know, and the reduction of staff and furlough and all that sort of stuff. You know, how's it been for you all? Have you, do you feel like this has been, um, you know, has, has this been twice as busy and twice as stressful or, or has it just been, well, you know, football's always like this to some extent. You're always hammering away at, you know, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Um, and a lot of the pressures are similar. It's just that, you know, you've obviously got more activity through online and, 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 and perhaps traditional media channels and stuff like that. If we just go with, uh, you know, we'll start with, start with you, um, uh, uh, Scott P. Do you want to give us, a, give us a sense of how it's been for the last year for you? I think it was a, like everyone a case of the un unknown and unexpected at the start because you think, you know, without football, what what is a football club? But then I think you realise, and it becomes more apparent just what else a football club does and means to people. So I think it was key that we kept, you know, because I think football fans see set those Saturdays as like an escape from not say real life but you know the nine to five and sort of like the working week so when you lose that as well as having to spend a lot of time at home I think it was important that we kind of try and cheer them up a little bit or give them something to replace that really so I think it was from the start our ambition was to keep going as much as we could with any kind of content really and try and figure out ways of doing fun things you know realizing 
probably how important nostalgia is in football as well quite quickly so having that archive of you know uh, haven't been sadly that many famous matches for Exeter City in the past uh, well ones that you'd repeat would say other than those Wembley playoff defeats but we won't talk about those uh, but <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, you know, matches like drawing 0-0 with Man United, which saved the club and stuff like that, and finding uh, finding all those and reliving those moments and doing full-on interviews with, you know, play- legends that people loved that haven't played for the club in a long time and just doing stuff that makes people remember the good times and, and think, you know, keep keep wanting to be engaged with the club and keep keep their spirits higher, I think, was key for us, really, so... It was. I think, if anything, it's kind of been. There's been some positives to come from it as well, because I think people, it's made people realise just how much football means to them, or you know how much their local club means to them. So, when when things do go back to some type of normality, hopefully we'll see e- even a boost on, you know, our attendances and everything. You'd hope just because people have missed it so much that they want to come back and do the normal again. I'm going to slightly tweak tweak the question as a result of what you just said, um, Scott. Elliot, tell us a a positive that's come out of this. Is there is there is there anything positive that's come out of this? Yeah, I've run out of words to describe it like anyone else has. You know, do do you see positive things that have come out of this in terms of the way you see things, the way that the club looks at looks at uh, uh, fans and the relationship it has with them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my answer was anyway was going to kind of touch upon and you know despite that the, there's been challenges and and, and difficulties uh, you know as, as I'm sure everyone's experienced but it, on the whole it's been quite refreshing in a way um, you know I guess we we're talking we touched upon in the, the previous question about how um, sometimes football gets into a particular way of doing things and and we get from you know we get to a Saturday to a Tuesday to a Saturday and we we almost do the same things over and over again and this this whole situation's had uh, has forced us to, I guess to take a look at what we're doing and, and why we're doing them and, and has forced us to think creatively because we, we don't have the access to you know to the players and staff that we had previously we we don't have supporters around we you know so we've we've had to think about how we do things, and we've we've had to think of new ways of doing things, and 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 what connects us to the supporters, and and what actually makes you know football clubs so important in people's lives, and 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 you can really see kind of the value of our departments in particular, um, as the people that communicate directly to to the supporters, and and so in that. In that sense, it's been really refreshing to kind of just have a little bit of a think about what we do and and, and analyse why we do things and, and and try new things out. Nicely put, Elliot. Scott D, the view from Shrewsbury. I think, bizarrely, it might not be the case for everyone, but given our unique circumstances, I've certainly noticed that there feels more of a togetherness around the club more than ever since I've, I've been here, um, mainly because of the situation with Steve Cottrell in terms of he's he's come in, he's done an amazing job for the first month, got manager of the month, and then um, obviously got struck with a, a really bad case of, of COVID and is still battling with it. But it's kind of put everything in perspective in terms of a community feel that it doesn't really matter what's going on the pitch. It, it's the members at the club, the fans and how they're feeling and 
it doesn't matter if we win or lose now. It's a case of all coming together and I've, the the outpour for 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 Steve, even though he's been here only what just under four months now, um, is incredible and it's it's kind of just brought everyone together. Not just because of Steve, but you see fans reaching out to each other. We've we've put quite a few posts out throughout the season in terms of. Um, engaging with fans I, I know at the start of lockdown we put a tweet out um, and said that if, if any fans were struggling with anything I know I'm, I'm no counsellor or anything but if, if they wanted to message us our DMs were open um, and we did have quite a few fans that, that messaged us and it was just a case of a small small talk conversation and, and it seemed to do the world a difference and it's just stuff like that that we've kept doing throughout the season and it's a strange one because obviously we have been lucky enough to have four or five games where we've we've had fans in because we when we have been allowed we've been in tier two luckily so that's been amazing but obviously like everyone else for the majority of the season we've had no fans but especially online the togetherness is is just unbelievable and I hope that when fans are allowed back properly that that continues and I'm I'm sure it will I just think the main thing we've all taken from this is it just puts life into perspective. Dan? Yeah, I mean, for obviously there's been a, a big digital shift because of this, because all the eyes are now on social media and, uh, you know, all our channels and stuff. So, I mean, in our division, the biggest thing for us has been the live streaming, um, which has come about from this. And, uh, you know, there's a rule before where obviously BT Sport owned the rights to our leagues. Um, you know, they've, um, allowed us to stream our own games and you know that gives us a real opportunity in other areas you know commercially um, you know you can get fans involved in zoom um, sessions etc so you know I really think it's about bringing the sort of match day experience to their home which you know has been a real sort of a creative challenge and uh, you know it's one we've we've enjoyed and hopefully done quite well. Alex, anything, any, any, anything that makes you sort of feel more optimistic about the future or that you've looked at and gone I didn't expect that. That's a good thing um, that's come out of this. Yeah, definitely. I think I can echo a lot of what the guys have, have already said. And I think Elliot hit the nail on the head with with calling it refreshing. And um, as a football fan myself and someone who's not always worked um, at, a, at a Premier League club as well, I think there's kind of an opinion sometimes that the Premier League is very commercially driven and 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 that's kind of the, the sole focus of it. So it's been refreshing to work in an environment where really our sole focus shifted completely away from football to to be in a community hub really um so the club from top to bottom turned its attention to to looking after not just our fan base but our local community um we were obviously very lucky with our facilities and that we could do a lot to help so um i think we sent out something like thirteen thousand meals to to vulnerable people in the local area and help deliver subscriptions and um our ticket office staff who obviously weren't busy as they were when we had football were, were able just to ring vulnerable supporters or supporters that we knew were on their own at this time so it was refreshing from a professional point of view to to be able to play a part in terms of helping the community but also from a football fan to to be able to see that football can actually do a lot to to help people um not just in terms of giving them something to smile about on a saturday with with watching a game but also when we're kind of all in a in a bad patch as the world was for a long time and still is with the pandemic that we were still able to to play our part and, and help in different ways. 
Right. Well, normally I allow I allow the guest to have the final word, but actually I'm going to have it this time. And I'd really like to thank you all for for giving up your time um, and for being so frank and honest um, with me. And I think everyone will benefit from this. Um, and and I hope everyone enjoys listening to to it as much as I did.